Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all, the, to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost done. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us when he, when he was talking to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Nice, nice to see you all. If I've met you already, I've met a couple of people tonight who have not. Um, Joshua and Naomi. Yeah, lovely to meet you. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, if we if we haven't met though, um, do come and grab me at the end of the service. I'd love to to say hello. And why don't we just pray uh, again? Uh, Father, thank you that you um, you haven't left us alone, but you speak to us through your Word and you send your Holy Spirit um, to uh, bring your words to life within us. Would you do that tonight? And would you bring your words alive in us tonight so that we're equipped for the week ahead? And uh, Lord, just give us courage as we um, hear what you have to say to us to respond and to act, each one of us. Yeah, for the glory of your name. Amen. So um, if you've been with us either in the mornings um, or the six over the past couple of months, you'll know um, we've been spending some time in the first three chapters of Mark's gospel, looking at the start 
of Jesus' ministry, seeing what his priorities were at the beginning of his ministry for him, for his followers, um, and really just trying to see how that speaks to us as we attempt to understand our priorities as a church at this time. And tonight what we're doing is, is obviously something a little bit different. We're, we're leaving the opening chapters of Mark, and we're going to the final chapters of, of Luke for the disciples, the other end of the story in terms of their journey with Jesus as he walked on the earth. And we're doing that, and we're doing it tonight, and also at our final service um, at six before the summer break. So in two weeks' time, we have another six o'clock. Put it in your diaries. It's right. There is no European Championship final that night, I'm sure. I think it's next Sunday. See what we did there. Um, so on the 18th, um, we're going to be doing the same story tonight and then, um, because there's a, a sense in this season that is... It's almost that we're in a season right now that's drawing to a close. I don't mean a football season. I mean generally in what has been going on these last 18 months. It might just be a sense that the summer break is, is coming. Um, we're planning on a bit of a quieter August before we launch our autumn program in September. Uh, more news on that coming soon. And of course, it might be something to do with the fact that, you know, even though infections we know are, are all really high again at the moment, it seems that the vaccines are making a, a difference. And that's a difference that could begin to change um, how we're able to do church once again. Um, and a sense that life might be returning to some sort of normal. Again, I say I know that we know that England you know, beating Germany at the Euros could never be categorized as normal in any sort of way. Um, but even if it's not normal that we're returning to, I think we are on the cusp of a new um, season, a new time. And, and in that, there's resonance um, in this story from Luke's gospel um, coming at a moment in the story between what has, has happened and what is coming. Um, because the disciples encounter with Jesus on the road to Emmaus on that first Easter day. It's a classic story of looking back on what has happened in order to gain an understanding of how to go forward. That's the dynamic we see in this story. And at the heart of the story, as is so often the case with Jesus, is an invitation. Um, in in Jesus' interactions with people, there's nearly always some form of invitation going on. And if you're not sure to do what to do with the Bible sometimes or with a, a passage in the Bible, a great question to ask yourself is, what is the invitation to me in this passage? So on the subject of invitation, I wonder what would be your dream invitation right now? Okay, so just imagine that you go home tonight and uh, you open the door, lying on the doorstep is an envelope. And on the envelope, your name is written in beautiful gold writing. You open the envelope, and inside is an invitation for you. Just for a moment, just imagine what could be the very best invitation that you could receive tonight. Why don't we just, um, if you're sitting close enough to someone to, to talk or to lean over, and, and why don't you, with face masks if this is possible, have a little chat if you want. What, what would be your dream invitation? Dream invitation. Um, Who's it from? What's it for? Uh, maybe it's to a sporting event. It could be, you know, semi-finals of uh, Wembley. 
uh, or maybe it's um, you know Emma Raducanu's next match. I think court one tomorrow. That would be a pretty good invitation. Uh, maybe it's to the Tokyo Olympics or the Lions Tour. Perhaps the invitation is um, the offer of your dream job or a place at college or university. Um, it could be an invitation for a date with your dream guy or your dream girl. Um, I know, who asked someone out in a letter? It's not like Jess still has the letter that I slipped into her bag asking her out the night that I was too scared to ask her face to face. <laughs> Cringe. Um, <laughs> I'll save the story for how I asked her father for his daughter's hand in marriage while standing at a urinal for another day. That's for the youth sometimes. So we'll, don't worry. Not, not for now. Not on record. Maybe the invitation would be for a much-delayed medical procedure. You know, we know the... Um, waiting list on the NHS at record levels at the moment. Maybe you spent months uh, spent in fear or pain. Come in tomorrow. We can sort it out now. Maybe it would be an invitation from someone who's been distant for a long time. I was recently speaking with a friend who was just about to embark on a road trip uh, with her mum to see if they could track down her sister who had sort of gone AWOL for, for a number of months. Many of us have people that we're desperate to hear from, hungry to reconnect with, um, especially after this last year. So just picture that for a moment, that invitation. Who's it from? What's it for? What impact might it have on your life? On the day Jesus rose from the dead, John tells us that the disciples were self-isolating. They were in voluntary lockdown for fear of the Jews. Their friend was dead. It might be their turn next. And Jesus had said uh, words to that effect. However, Luke tells us of these two disciples, Cleopas and one other. And we don't know the name of the other one. They're walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, um, which is about seven miles, I think, west, I think, of Jerusalem. Someone can look it up and correct me if. I'm wrong. I don't think Emmaus is there anymore, actually. Don't do it. Um, we don't know why they were traveling, but we know what they were talking about. Um, they were replaying the events of everything that had happened to them these last few days and weeks and months. We heard Tim read it out beautifully in that uh, creative rendition of it. Monumental events full of drama and confusion and life and death. And... Jesus suddenly appears alongside them, but they're kept from recognizing him. Why? We'll come back to that, but I think it's all part of the invitation that is forming. What are you discussing? Jesus asks. And Luke describes the physical reaction of, of the two to Jesus' question. Verse 17, they stood still, their faces downcast. This is important. Luke's painting a picture of two people who are not okay. They're not doing okay. They're struggling. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Verse 18. Imagine just bumping into someone in the street today who asks, you know, what, what's the deal with all these masks? Why is everyone wearing masks? What's the deal with that? And you'd be like, where have you been? This last whatever it is. 
Jesus chooses to draw them out. What things? He asks. And uh, this is their reply. I'll just read these verses again. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. Let's just take a quick look at what's going on here. What I think we're seeing is the disciples being invited by Jesus to describe what's happened and how it's affecting them. Verse 21, we had hoped. There's this sense of um, previous plans that are now in tatters, something that we all know a bit too much about today. Hopes overtaken by circumstances. And then um, verse 22, there's this new reality they're trying to come to terms with. The women visited the tomb and they claimed to have seen angels who told them that Jesus was alive. Either way, Jesus' body was not where they had left it. This was a disruptive and confusing turn of events. And all this adds up to some questions that the two disciples are undoubtedly struggling with. What's going on? What does this mean for us? How is this all going to end? You've got frustrated hopes, you've got confusing new realities, you've got um, unresolved questions. And the disciples are struggling emotionally, their faces are downcast, they literally looked sad. What would your dream invitation be right now? You know... Out of all the invitations that we can receive, one of the most precious, I think, is when someone who cares for you invites you to share what is going on for you without judgment. Not just um, invites you, but makes that possible for you. It's not an invitation that comes through the letterbox, usually. But it is something that can just happen between any two people. We talked about lockdown as something that has disconnected people. Being invited to talk about how we're feeling is kind of the opposite of that. It's the essence of connection. I was going to say for any teens tonight, you know, one of the major challenges of being a teenager is knowing how and where it is safe for you to be vulnerable, known by others amidst this kind of Tornado of insecurity, anxiety, risk, and danger in person and online. I want you to know that I hope that this church will be somewhere where you can feel safe and accepted and truly known. Where you are able to be vulnerable, be real. Adults, of course, the same is true for us as well, isn't it? We've had a few more years to calibrate our kind of vulnerability risk instincts, but the same applies. And we are often rightly wary of how this world will receive us. 
Archbishop of Canterbury said this week, the church mustn't water down the gospel to something that is basically therapeutic care. And I think he was absolutely right. We, you know, the church exists for mission, uh, ex- exists to preach salvation, not just help ourselves and other people feel better. Uh, more on that next time. However, in this passage, there's no escaping that the invitation of Jesus to these two on the road was to share their experiences, their emotions, their traumas with him. He wanted to give them an opportunity to tell him their story. What things, Jesus asked them, as if he didn't know. And to return to the question, why were the disciples kept from recognizing him? At this point in the story, I I just have to conclude that this was the best way for Jesus to draw out from his emotionally battered friends how they were feeling. He wanted to give them this time to process with him. And see this, as they walked and talked, wondering what had become of Jesus, he was right there with them, listening, inviting. And you know, Jesus' presence with you does not depend on you being consciously aware of it. He is with you. He walks with you in your best moments, in your worst moments. And he is listening. It's precious to be invited to share how we're doing with someone who loves us and knows us. How much more precious precious it is to receive that invitation from the God who loves you and knows you completely. So often we're tempted to come to Jesus as we think we ought to be, rather than as we really are. Expressing feelings that we think we should be thinking or feeling, rather than what we really are feeling. As if our true feelings might be somehow offensive or unworthy of his time and attention. He sees their downcast faces and he sees yours and he makes his invitation. What things? Tell me about what's happening and how you're doing. Come and process it with me. Bring me your frustrated hopes and dreams. Bring me your grief. Bring me your despair and your doubt. Bring me the places you are struggling to cope or you feel totally defeated. You know, there's only one who is pleased when you feel unable to bring yourself as you are at your most raw and your most honest to God. And that's Satan, the deceiver, the enemy of our souls. It's a whinge for him when we don't believe that God most desires us to come to him as we really are. But before we do that in a moment, I'm just going to make some space to do that in a moment. I just want to recognize that maybe, you know, for some of us in the building tonight, maybe um, those listening to this talk later in the week may be wondering, well, how, how does this work? You know, how do I talk to a God that I don't really know and definitely can't see? Let me just suggest a few simple steps as we, as we finish. So, First, just try and find somewhere quiet. 
That may or may not be uh, uh, possible for you at home, depending on your circumstances. It might mean going out for a walk in a quiet place or getting up early before the chaos begins. So first, find somewhere to be quiet. Second, invite God's Holy Spirit to come and make his home in you. It's just a way of intentionally asking God or inviting God to be present with you. He's always with us, but if we want to talk with him, we invite him. He rarely forces himself into uh, people's lives, our lives. We just say, come Holy Spirit. And then we wait and we take a few deep breaths. It's just a very um, ancient biblical way of inviting God um, to be with us and to enter into prayer. Third, tell him about what's going on and how you're feeling. As if he's right there, hanging on every word, because he is. Talk it out. If you find it easier to write than talk, then use a notebook, use a journal. It's got the added advantage, if you do that, of being able to look back in weeks and months ahead into uh, how your relationship with God has been developing. And then just finally, take time to listen. It might be that he has something to say to you, a thought or an idea in your mind that perhaps just is common sense or perhaps feels a little bit of a surprise. It might be simply a word of love or acceptance. There may be wisdom or guidance, but if, if it's Jesus, it will always be characterized by love. It's his heart, it's his nature. If you find it helpful to create a context in your imagination for all of this, read yourself into the story. You know, you can imagine yourself. In fact, maybe we'll, we'll do this to finish in a moment. You can imagine yourself walking along the road with Jesus alongside you as he was with those two disciples and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up this story again next time on the 18th and we'll, we'll see how Jesus is then going to use this to turn their perspective from what has happened to what is coming.